0: A few days ago when I was doing my, was doing my general Bible reading, I uh, read Matthew chapter 16. And there was a portion here that caught my eye and got my attention and it's kind of stayed in my mind and I'd like to speak on that this morning to be the Lord's will. This is Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, He said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets you took up, neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Lord tells his disciples to take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The expression, take heed, is found, I think, about 128 times in the Bible. It's a warning sign. It's in the Old Testament New Testament. Warning signs are very important, aren't they? Every day you drive, you benefit by warning signs. Maybe you come to a place and there's a sign that says bridge out down the road now at that point you don't see that without that sign you might continue to travel on and could be disastrous maybe you see a sign that says road under water in a half mile you maybe you can't see it at the time but that signs telling you ahead of time about the road being under water Be a very dangerous situation to ignore signs like that would be foolish wouldn't it Ignore signs like that and just look the other way and say, well, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I can get on through that water. I'll find a way around that, that bridge. You got signs telling you that there's a sharp curve ahead. You ever seen those signs where it shows like a snake, almost, uh, the way the the right, way the road goes to let you know ahead of time this, you need to slow down. You know, there are signs when you're on the interstate, uh, when you're coming down a steep grade, uh, what the degree is. It means to, to slow down. These are the warning signs to you to help you stay safe as you're traveling the highways. Sometimes your body will give you some warning sounds, uh, signs. rather, And maybe sounds too. But anyway, <laughs> um, and if you take heed to it, it might save you a trip to the hospital. It might even save your life. A lot of times people ignore them. They thought, nothing to it, it's just indigestion, I'm sure that everything will go away and they're not having indigestion, they're having heart pains. So the Lord built your body to give you some warning signs. So throughout the Bible we find the Lord giving us warning signs. The Lord here Himself tells His disciples to take heed and beware. Now all the way through the Old Testament, you find God giving instructions to Israel along these lines. One of the first ones is found over here in the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus. When Israel came across the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, we find where the Lord told them to take heed, lest uh, any should touch the mountain, lest they would die, even a beast. This was Mount Horeb, where God came down from heaven and met there on Mount Sinai and delivered the law. He came down, he came down in a fire. And he told the people, "You don't come close. You stay away. You stay at a distance. If you come forward and you touch this mountain, you even a beast, you shall be struck dead." I mean, that's a pretty serious warning sign, right? Warning from God. We find in the book of Deuteronomy there uh, the expression "Take heed." This is some of the last words of Moses before he left this world, and he tells Israel ten different times in the book of Deuteronomy to take heed, take heed. Uh, you know, that your heart not deceive you and you serve other gods. Uh, Take heed. Uh, In Deuteronomy 4, he says, when I appeared in that mount, he says, you saw no similitude. Um, In other words, uh, they were prone to make idols out of things. He said, when I appeared to you, you didn't see a form. You didn't see a shape. You just heard a voice. So take heed that you uh, don't be given over to idols. Uh, Ten different times in Deuteronomy we find different things like that. Then we come to the latter part of the book of Deuteronomy, to the tenth. Take heed, and you're going to find where the Lord said through Moses to the people, says, Take heed, for now you are of the people that belong to God. Um, all the things he said up to that time, as God's people, they were to take heed to God's instructions, take heed to His commandments, etc., etc. And even though God had been forming this nation for many years, you know, it began with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then. They were down in the land of Egypt, and when they came out of Egypt, they came out as a nation. They came out uh, well over a million people as a nation without any left behind. It's at this point, you might say officially that they're the people of God, and God expects them to act like His people. In the last uh, part of Joshua, chapter 22, verse 5, you'll find some of the last words of Joshua. Now, Moses gave those last words, and he was a man God used to bring them across the Red Sea. He's going to use Joshua to bring them across Jordan's River into the land of Canaan. And before Joshua left this world, uh, in Joshua 22, he tells him to take heed and be diligent to keep the commandments of God as Moses had instructed them. He says, you keep His commandments. says, you love the Lord thy God, and you are to serve Him, and worship Him, and cleave unto Him with all your heart and soul. Now it's from this verse in Deuteronomy 10, 12, that the Lord Jesus Christ answered a lawyer over here in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, he, the lawyer had asked him, what is the great commandment? And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you know, the great commandment is that you are to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. The Lord got that from what Joshua said over here. Uh, that's preceded with the expression "take heed." In the New Testament, we find this numerous times. First time we find it's Matthew six one, when the Lord told his disciples, he says, "Take heed that you do your alms not before men to be seen of men, for they have their reward." In Matthew eighteen, he told his disciples to take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. When a little one comes to the Lord, you're not to despise him. The Lord said, "Take heed that you don't despise one that comes." unto me. There are numerous admonitions concerning the ministry. Acts 8, 20 and 28, Paul told the elders there at Ephesus, he says, Take heed unto yourselves and to the Holy Ghost which made you overseers to feed the flock of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. First Timothy 4 and 20, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Take heed to thyself and the doctrine and continue in them. For in so doing thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, I think you should understand here is a good example. What the word saved has nothing to do with hell and heaven, has to do with the pitfalls of life here. He says, Timothy, you take heed unto yourself, you take heed to the doctrine of the Bible, and you continue in them, and if you do that, says you'll deliver yourself, you'll save or deliver yourself and them that hear thee. And that's what I try to do. I try to take heed to myself to the doctrine because I'm interested in being saved. I'm interested in being delivered, in other words, from, from the things of this world right here. And the Word of God will help me do that. And if I'm successful in that and able to proclaim the Word of God to you, then I'll be able to help deliver you from these things, you see. This is all in a timely sense. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he says, let us give the more earnest heed. Uh, when you read this word, I take heed, sometimes it's take heed, sometimes it's take Uh, diligent heed. Sometimes it's take good heed. And here it's take the more earnest heed. And notice what he says. Let us take the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now to do that, you've got to hear the things that's under consideration. You hear them in the house of God. Let us take heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For what the word first spoke about angels was steadfast, and every transgression received a just recompense reward. How shall we escape? He said, that's what happened in the past. Uh, every transgression received a just recompense or reward. He says, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How do we neglect so great a salvation? By fain to give heed to the things which we have heard. That's very, very important, isn't it? Second uh, Peter 1 and 19, he says, um, We have a more sure word of prophecy, wherefore for we should take heed. Unto it as a light that shines in a dark place, to the day star rise within your hearts. When he says we have a more sure word of prophecy, he's talking about the scriptures, he's talking about the written, written word of God, he's talking about the Bible. He said we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's more sure than anything you have in this world, it's more sure than your experiences, and they're important, but you know, your mind may. Uh, get involved and you may lose sight of some of these things, one thing and another, but the Word of God stays the same all the time. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We do well to take heed as into a light in a dark place. We live in a dark place. We live in a dark world. The Scripture gives us light to help us along the way. In the 19th Psalm, David says, Thy words are like a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. He says, take heed to these things. Hebrews chapter 3. The apostle says, let us take heed, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief uh, in you in departing from the living God. The word heart used three times, twice, right above this. He says, if you will hear his voice in the day of provocation, he says, uh, when they you know, departed from God, he's talking about the children of Israel in, in the wilderness for 40 years. He says, uh, they had a heart that erred, and they had a heart that was hard. And then he says, let us take heed lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. Uh, Now, if that happened to them, it it can happen to us. So we have these warning signs, Old Testament, New Testament. I'll just give you a sampling here this morning. I'll give you 25 more of them. Uh, They're all the way through the Word of God. So here's one that the Lord gives to his disciples. He says, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were two religious groups in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, two most well-known, prominent groups. The Pharisees had a greater number than the Sadducees, but they had a great influence on the people of their day. And the Pharisees were a self-righteous group. The Pharisees believed in a work system. They believed that you could keep the Word of God perfectly, and they'd wear their garments, you know, um, with the phylacteries on their shoulders and around the hem of their garments. And I like to say that they wore their religion rather than living their religion. Religion is to be lived and not talked about. It's to be lived and not worn. But they wore their religion, you see. And uh, the, a good example of this is in Luke chapter 18, when two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a publican. And the Pharisee began first. He said, Lord, I thank you. And I like to say he started off good. <laughs> but he jumped track in a hurry. Uh, he said, "Lord, I thank you. I'm like like other men, like this publican right over here. He's comparing himself to the publican, and he's looking down at the publican. He I thank you, I'm not like this man over here, this publican.' Says, I fast, you know, twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess.' Well, the Lord didn't require them to fast twice in a week, but he's going overboard, you see." I fast twice in a week, and I give all uh, tithe all that I have, my possessions, etc. I'm not a a murderer, I'm not an adulterer, an evil person, etc., etc. It's like to say he had what I call the eye disease. But the pumpkin smote himself on the breast, and Lord have mercy upon me a sinner. Now here's the difference between the two men. The man who had fewer words to say, but listen to what words he did say. He smote himself right where he hurt, right on his breast, right in his heart, right where he felt it. Uh, The Pharisee didn't have any heart problems, but the publican did. Uh, I I have a few heart problems along those lines, and I'm thankful for them. Uh, He said, Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Lord said, This man went down his house justified, that is, in the sight of men, rather than this other man did here, the Pharisee. But that's a clear illustration of what a Pharisee was all about. And then you have the Sadducees. You come over to the book of Acts, and you read where the Apostle Paul was uh, a prisoner. And uh, he had an audience, and he looked out there, and there were Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, we find where the Bible says the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in the Spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Now, the Pharisees were on target concerning that. But the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. You know, it's just amazing to me how how these kind of titles and (laughs) phrases uh, play out based upon things like that. And the Pharisee, uh, I'm fair, you see, uh, I'm perfect, I'm sinless, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm walking in a straight and a narrow way. You want to know how to walk, just follow me. That's what he had to say. But the Sadducee was sad because he didn't believe in the resurrection. That'd make me sad if I didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, he didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in, the, in angels, and didn't believe in spirits. Now, all three of these, of course, are biblically taught. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees, who they were. And the Lord tells His disciples here, He says, Take heed and beware of the the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when disciples heard that, as so oftentimes as you find in the Bible, you'll find where they misunderstood. They they took it for the natural rather than the spiritual. And you find this over and over again, especially in John's Gospel. When you go to John chapter 3, for example, when the Lord was dealing with Nicodemus. The Lord said, Verily, verily, I say you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. When Nicodemus heard that, he says, How can a man enter back in his mother's womb the second time? See, Nicodemus is thinking natural. He's thinking physical. The Lord was thinking spiritual. In John chapter 4, the Lord meets at Jacob's well with a Samaritan woman. And in the interaction exchange he has with the Samaritan woman, he asked her to give him a drink from this, of the water of Jacob's well. And uh, she says, How is it thou being a Jew just ask such a thing of me being a Samaritan? Uh, the Jews and Samaritans didn't have anything to do with each other. She recognizes him by his physical features that he's a Jew. And uh, she's surprised that this Jew would ask her to do such a thing. And the Lord replied unto her, He says, uh, The water you drink out of this well you will thirst again. But the water that I give unto you is like a, you know everlasting spring of water within, and you shall never thirst again. She said, Lord, give me some of that water. She thinks he's talking about natural water, not spiritual water, you see. And so you can just go on and on and on. Just study the Gospel of John, and uh, you'll find almost in every single case when the Lord first uh, teaches or explains something to those in His audience, they take Him to be talking about natural things when He's talking about spiritual things. So the disciples right here, and they, uh, when he says to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they reply and they reason among themselves, saying because we've taken no bread. They don't understand. Which when Jesus perceived, when he understood this, he said unto them, O ye of little faith. It's one of the Lord's favorite expressions. O ye of little faith. This is at least the fourth time that the Lord has used this concerning his disciples. First time is in Matthew chapter 6 when the Lord tells us that no man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. He'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the word mammon means wealth. It means riches. He says, you can't serve the Lord in the world out here. You can't serve the world in riches. You're going to be a servant to one or the other. You can't be a servant unto both of them. Like the story I like to tell from time to time was the the man uh, back in the Civil War days who didn't want to take a position, didn't want to take a side, in other words. He wanted to be neutral. Uh, but that was an impossibility in that day, and so he wore the gray pants and the blue shirt. So that got him shot by the north and the south. The south shot him in the shirt, and the north shot him in the pants. And that's what it gets you when you're trying to straddle a fence. You just can't do it. You better get on one side of the fence or the other. So you can't serve God and mammon. The Lord didn't say it was hard to serve God and mammon. He says you can't do it. The Lord says you can't do it. Don't even try because if He says you can't do it, you can't do it. And then He told his disciples. He says, uh, you take a look at the fowls in the air. He says, they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't gather, yet God feeds them. And the litters of the field, he says, see how they toil not and spin not. He says, Solomon, all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Take no thought for what you shall eat, drink, or what ye shall wear. That's the necessities of life right there. Your food, your drink, and your clothing. He take no thought for it. He's not telling you not to be concerned about it. He's not telling you that you don't have to uh, plan for these things but he's telling you not to fret over it, not to worry about it, because there's a solution to it. He said, now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is soon cut down and put into the oven, how much more shall he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? How much more shall he clothe you? If God clothes the grass of the field, if he feeds the, uh, the fowls of the air, and takes care of them, how much more do you think he'll take care of you, and feed you, and clothe you? See, I'm talking about social security that comes from heaven and not from Washington. What comes from Washington is social insecurity. How secure do you feel in your social security this morning? Uh, Most people who aren't drawing it yet think they never will. Those who are drawing it just happen to get it from month to month, thinking that might be the last thing I'll ever see. But see, the Lord's promise is sure. So he goes on to say, take no thought for tomorrow, for today's sufficient for the evil thereof. You got enough on your plate today without borrowing from tomorrow. You got enough on your plate right here today. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's history. Uh, Two days that keep you from enjoying this day, and that's yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday, again, is gone. It's history. No need to fret about what you did do, didn't do, one thing or another. Maybe learn some lessons from it. And tomorrow's coming up, but uh, he didn't get here soon enough. Let's just focus on what's in front of us here today, you see. He says, take no thought for tomorrow, for sufficient for today is the evil thereof. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Now there is your heavenly security. If you want these things added to you, food to eat, something to drink, clothes to wear, which are the basic necessities of life, then seek first the kingdom of God your priority. Make the Lord and His church and His kingdom your first priority. I was blessed to have a very wonderful mother and father, as I, as I tell you from time to time, and very just extremely blessed. The one thing my dad and my mother taught me in word and by example was putting the Lord first in their life. I can tell you without reservation, they were great examples of that. Nothing came between them and being at the house of God. When the doors were open, they were there. When Sunday came, they were there. They put aside everything going on and they were there. I learned that lesson early on and thank God it stuck with me, okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things shall be added to you. Here's a shall just as sure as Matthew 121. When the angel told Joseph, Mary shall conceive and bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We like to really bear down on them shalls, don't we? And rightly so. Well, here's a shall in Matthew 633 we need to put a little uh, bearing down on. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things shall be added to you. But he called the people that he was talking to there, O ye of little faith. And the two storms that you find recorded, Matthew eight and Matthew fourteen. In that first storm the Lord Jesus Christ is in the bottom of the ship, and the storm is so so great the disciples have great fear, and they wake him up. And they say, Cares not that we perish. What did the Lord say to him? What's his very first words he says to him? O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. Had he not already displayed time and time and time again that he cared for him? Of course he had. When you come to Matthew 14, during the second storm, and the Lord comes walking upon the water, and the apostle Peter cries out. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. The Lord said, Peter, come. Peter got out of the ship and started walking to the Lord. And as long as his eyes was on the Lord, he was successful. He was walking on the ways. He was uh, above his trials, above his tribulations at that time, above the problems uh, that he was facing in this great storm. But when he took his eyes off the Lord and looked down into the water, all of a sudden he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord took, up, uh, took hold of to Peter's hand. He says, O ye of little faith. Now, I'm not going to criticize Peter because I'm not sure how many times I've ever got out of the boat. How about you? How many times have you got out of the boat? <laughs> when the, when the, you were in the boat in the great storm, how many times have you got out of the boat? Well, I guess mine's zero. All right, so at least Peter got out of the boat. He had enough faith to get out of the boat, enough faith in the Lord to keep him afloat. He just made a mistake taking his eyes off. He looked at the circumstances rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the third time he calls him. oh, ye little faith, or says that to somebody. And now here for the fourth time, he tells these disciples, O ye of little faith. And he's going to bring something back to their attention. Notice what it is. O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because you brought no bread? Now, if you look at the account in Mark chapter 8, you'll find on that ship they actually had one loaf of bread. But it uh, I think, uh, just speculating a little here, uh, may- maybe they were going to, had plans to buy some bread as soon as they got to the other side. But regardless, they didn't have enough bread. If the Lord was wanting bread right then, so He says, "Uh, "Do you not? uh, Excuse me. Oh, ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand. How many baskets you took up? Do you not understand?" Do you not remember? It ain't like it been 20 years since this happened. Two chapters earlier, Matthew 14, you got the miracle of the five loaves and the 5,000. In the previous chapter, just prior to this, I mean just immediately before this, you got the miracle of the 4,000 and the seven loaves. Do you not remember this? In other words, if I took the loaves that you gave me on those two occasions and I multiplied the loaves, why are you worried about not having any bread? That's what he's getting around to. Do you not think I can produce bread if I need bread? Do you not think I can supply uh, all of us here with all the bread I need right now, or we need right now? Have you forgotten? Have you failed to understand? Do you not, what, remember? That's piercing questions, isn't it? Do you not remember these things? Well, again, it hadn't been 20 years. It had just been a very short period of time. And already that experience had kind of slipped their mind, apparently. So why these two miracles? The first miracle, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, is recorded by every gospel writer. The only miracle Christ formed that all four gospel writers uh, put down. So that, with it, that right there tells me I need to pay a little special attention to it. If I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to read about this miracle four times. There's other miracles I read about. I read about one time, some of them two times, some of them three times. This is the only one I read about four times. This miracle was performed among a great many people, 5,000 besides women and children. This miracle was done in a public setting, in a public way, uh, in contrast to many of the miracles Christ performed. Most of the miracles Christ performed was performed in the presence of an individual or in the presence of just a few people, maybe a few more sometimes. But here is 5,000, of women and children, you put all that together, you probably got at least 8,000, maybe 10,000 people that were taken care of on that occasion, although the number 5,000 is what comes to our attention. All right, the Lord here is going to perform a miracle a little bit unlike some of the other miracles. There's two miracles in which Christ took nothing and brought something out of it. In other words, he produced something that didn't previously exist. If you look in John chapter two, you find where the Lord was at a wedding in Canaan. He and his disciples invited to this wedding and uh, they ran into a problem because they didn't have any wine. And so the Lord is gonna tell the disciples to get these containers and fill them with water. And water went in, but wine came out. The Lord produced wine when no wine existed. He just turned the water into wine. Water went in the pots. Wine came out of the pots. Some miraculous took place with that water while it was in the pot. When the Lord performs this miracle here, both miracles actually, He's going to take something that doesn't exist. You know, the bread and the fish uh, were there, but the Lord is going to uh, bring into existence something that didn't exist. He's going to bring enough food into existence here that's going to take care and supply all the great multitude. And notice, wine and bread. When you come to communion table, what's on that table? Wine and bread. The wine symbolizing, of course, his shed blood, his, the perfection sentence of the nature of Christ, the unleavened bread the same way. So that's what's on that table. That's the two miracles Christ performed when he took something that did not exist and brought it into existence. See, when he uh, gave sight to the blind, or gave hearing to the deaf, or enabled the lame to walk, he didn't bring anything to existence. He just miraculously cured what the situation demanded. He gave sight to the blind, he gave hearing to to the deaf, and he enabled those that were lame to walk. And those that were dead, he raised back to life again. So we we'll take a look at these four accounts of this. Um, then it's, there are lessons in it for us here today. Now, when you read these lessons, and you study these, you need to put yourself in the place of those that's there on, on that occasion. So let's just do that this morning. You're part of 5,000 people here, and the Lord Jesus Christ sees you, and the Bible says that He had compassion on the multitudes. Twelve times the word compassion occurs in the New Testament, eight times in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Eight different times we find the Lord having compassion. And here's the first one. He has compassion on the multitude. When you get to the second miracle, it'll be the same way. He saw the multitude and he had compassion on the multitude. The word compassion doesn't mean pity. Doesn't mean pity. It's a lot stronger word than that. Uh, The word compassion means that we put ourselves in the place of those that we have compassion with. We try to relate to their situation. We try to relate to their circumstances. The Lord Jesus Christ had compassion on the multitudes. What did the disciples want to do? Disciples wanted to shoo them away. Disciples wanted to solve the problem of sending them away. But the Lord wasn't going to send them away. It's kind of interesting. The Lord called these disciples, these apostles, to go to the multitudes to preach, and they did. But then when the multitudes came to them, the disciples wanted them to go back home. So the Lord had compassion on them and the Lord asked first of all Philip what have you Philip and Philip did a little calculating. He saw the great multitudes maybe did a little estimating etc. He calculated just exactly how much it was going to take to be able to feed this great multitude and he realized we don't have near enough. Had uh, 20 20, uh, penny worth of bread and when you look at the word 20 in the Bible well, oh, it's 200 penny worth of bread, excuse me. But 200 is a multiple of 20, isn't it? When you look at the word 20, the number 20 in the Bible, you're going to find that to be a number of insufficiency. For example, you'll find how many years did Jacob spend down with Uncle Laban? He spent 20 years with Uncle Laban, didn't he? Did he get his wives and the cattle and whatever everything? He spent 20 years. He was delivered from Uncle Laban, what? In year 21. 21 is divisible what number? Seven, isn't it? And seven is the number of completion and perfection. It was in the 21st year that he, uh, that he got uh, deliverance from Uncle Laban. In Judges chapter 4, the Lord has sold Israel unto the king of Canaan, Jabin, and he oppresses them for 20 years. It's in the 21st year that God delivers them. In First Samuel chapter 7, opening verses, you're going to find where the Ark of the Covenant, is in the household of Abinadab, it's going to be there for 20 years. It's going to be year 21 that God delivers that Ark of the Covenant out of that household. 21 is divisible by seven, the number of perfection, the number of completion. 20 is one year short. 20 is a year or number of insufficiency. And uh, this 200 penny worth of bread is going to be insufficient, isn't it? He says it's not enough just to give everybody a little. Now, also when it comes to that number 20 and the multiple of it, um, over here in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14, you're going to read about a man named Absalom. And Absalom is described as a man who was head and shoulders, you know, above everybody. He uh, He was known for his beauty from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. If you want to talk about a man walking around in vanity, then study the life of Absalom. And it says at the end of the year, his hair was so long, his hair was so heavy, he had it pulled. That means he had it cut off and it was weighed and it was sold. And then it would grow again. It was so thick. It was so heavy. One thing or another. Then he had it pulled every so often, usually about once a year, and his hair weighed three to four pounds. My whole head don't weigh that. (laughs) Much less what little hair I've got left on it. Maybe three or four ounces put it all together. But anyway, he has hair pulled, his hair cut, hair was weighed, hair was sold. And everything about Absalom, we're told, is about his outward, outward man, the physical man, right? We know how much it weighed. It weighed uh, 200 shekels. You know how he died? He's riding a mule, and he goes under an oak tree, and his head gets caught up in the oaks. I wonder if his hair kind of aided that. That was his beauty. That was, you know, his glory was his own hair. His head is caught in the limbs of an oak tree. And then Joab comes along and sends three darts right into his heart and slays him, contrary to what his father David told him to do. In the book of uh, Judges, chapter 17, there's a man by the name of Micah. And Micah steals a, a certain amount of silver from his mother. His mother finds out about it. He gives it back to her. She takes 200 shekels of silver and builds an idol out of it. 200, uh, 20 and 200, is always numbers of insufficiency, but also numbers that lead to no good. Go to Joshua chapter 7. There's a man by the name of Achan. And uh, when God blessed them to win the battle of Ai, they were supposed not to bring anything back. They were supposed to destroy it all. But Achan brought something back. And he's the only one who knew about it outside of God. And God placed a judgment upon them. And they found out who done it. And here's what Achan said. He said, I looked and I saw a Babylonian garment and I saw 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. He said, I coveted and I took it. You know what began his sin of covetousness? It was with a look. It was with a look, looking in the wrong place. What did he see? He saw the Babylonian garment, that appealed to his eyes. He saw 200 shekels of silver and a, golden wedge, a wedge of gold, and he took them, he coveted them, and as a result of that, he and his household, uh, all were slain, and the nation of Israel also suffered greatly because of the sins of one man. He said 200 penny worth of bread, but it's not enough that every man have a little. And he was right. It's insufficient. What was his problem? He never looked at the Lord, the great resources standing right beside him. He looked at the circumstances. He counted the number of people. He counted what he had in his own resources. And he says, that's not enough. If we went and bought what we could, it'd give every man a little bit, much less feed everybody. The Lord asked him that question to prove him. So what would you have said? We put our, ourselves in, uh, in his shoes. What would I have said? What would you have said? So then he turns to Philip, or Andrew rather. He turns to Andrew, which is Peter's brother. He asks Andrew the question. Andrew looks around. He finds a little boy. The Bible says a lad's got five loaves and two fishes. He said, but what are they among so many? When I compare this, when I see the five loaves and two fishes, What is that among so many? This is 5,000 men. You got the women. You got the children. And all we got is five loaves and two fishes. The Lord said, cause them all to sit down. Cause them all to sit down. And in John's gospel, chapter six, it says they sat down on the grass. In Mark's account, it says the green grass. So somehow there in the wilderness, God allowed nature provide a nice, soft setting place for those people that were very hungry is God wonderful? is God marvelous? Reminds me of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He making me to lie down, what? In green pastures. He leave me beside the still waters. Here's green grass. They're going to sit down in green grass. He says, have them all sit down in, in groups of 50. God's a God of order. When Israel came across the Red Sea, you might think they just uh, went uh, running across the Red Sea in a wild manner. They did not. They came out harnessed, my friends. The word means they came out in ranks of 50. Ranks of five, excuse me, ranks of five across the Red Sea. He says, have them all sit down. So they all sit down. How patient God is with us. How, how, how compassionate he is. Have them all sit down. Kind of wonder what went through the minds of the disciples. We've already told the Lord we don't have enough money to buy enough bread. We already told the Lord we only have five loaves and two fishes. What in the world is he going to do now? He's getting ready to tell them and show them what he's going to do. This is a sermon in action. He takes the five loaves and the two fishes. Five, by the way, in the number, uh, is the number in the Bible that usually depicts grace. Remember in John chapter 5, there's a place called Bethesda, which means the house of mercy it had five porches. And there was a pool of water there, and they would gather together in, in, uh, once a uh, year. And uh, at a certain season, an angel would come down and trouble the water, and the first one going to the water would be healed. There was a man with an infirmity of 38 years, but no man ever came to help him in. Uh, won't sidetrack in the lessons and all that. The point is that a house of mercy had five porches. The number five is stamped all over them everywhere in the building of the tabernacle. Five is the number of grace. He's got five loaves and two fishes. There's 5,000, obviously easily divisible, by five. 5,000, and he's got five loaves of bread and, a, and two fishes. And the Lord takes them and the Lord blesses them and then the Lord puts them in the hands of the disciples. They become distributors. They don't make it, they distribute it. He tells them to feed the multitudes. Now you tell me what you be thinking right then. You tell me what you be thinking. Here, here's five loaves and two fishes and we're going to pass this out to the people. This won't take long but when they came back after taking some out there and giving to the people, there was more loaves, there was more fishes. They came back, there was more loaves and more fishes. And when it was all said and done, they fed the entire multitude of people from five loaves and two fishes. Every man was full. They didn't just get a little, they were all filled. And the supply continued as long as the man was there. When the demand ceased, the supply ceased. You know, when God was uh, talking to Abraham about destroying the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember what Abraham did? He pleaded with the Lord. He said, Lord, if you find 50 righteous, will you spare in the city? And the Lord said, I'll spare if I find 50. He said, how about 45? The Lord said, 45. 40? 40. How about 30, Lord? 30, okay. 20? Yeah, I'll spare if I find 20? Abraham didn't have much confidence in that city, did he? He said, How about ten? The Lord said ten. You know why the Lord didn't say five? Because Abraham didn't ask for five. He stopped at ten. As long as he asked, the Lord answered. When he stopped asking, the Lord quit answering. Wonder how many times I've come up short because I just stopped asking. One of my favorite verses in the Bible I think, it's in, uh, I think it's in Psalm 78 The Lord said to Israel Open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it Time and time again They opened their mouth wide and God Filled it You know when God didn't fill it is when they didn't open their mouth wide That's when he didn't fill it The Lord didn't say, didn't say I'll spare it for five because Abraham didn't ask For five he just asked for ten He worked it all the way down to ten Been me I'd have worked it down to one he did deliver just blood out of there, did he? Didn't he? Did he not? So they were all filled. As long as there was the man, there was food. As long as there was a hungry soul, he was fed. Jesus didn't come up short. Jesus is perfect, is he not? The great provider. He provided what they stood in need of. They had a sufficiency to fill them up there with. The Lord took five loaves and two fishes. It just seemed like a small thing, a small amount. But look what the Lord did in the hands of the Lord. He multiplied it. A little in the hands of the Lord is much. A little in the hands of the Lord can be a great deal, can it not? God can just take the smallest thing, my friends, and He can just uh, explode it. He took a just a little small stone, a smooth stone, and put in the sling of, of little David, and he slew a giant. He did. <laughs> He took a rod and put it in the hand of a weak man by the name of Moses. Moses said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I cannot speak. Uh, I don't have the power. I don't have the strength to go down there. He put a rod in Moses' hand, sent him down there, and brought an entire nation of people out of the land of Egypt. Just a small thing. I remember when uh, in 2 Kings chapter uh, 4, I believe it is, you're going to find a widow woman. Her husband's dead. She has no means to support and then the prophet asked her what she had. She says, well, I got a little pot of oil. That's all I've got. He says, you go to the neighbor's and you borrow not a few, which means you borrow a lot of pots. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many pots she borrowed, but she buried enough, borrowed enough pots, she brought them back. And that, all those pots was filled with, out of one little pot of oil. Her little pot of oil over here filled all the pots that she went out and got and brought. How much oil was in that pot? It was enough to fill every pot she borrowed. If she'd have borrowed five more pots, it had been enough to fill five more pots, you see. And he said, now you go sell the oil, and you pay off your debt, and then you live on the rest. I love the Lord's solutions. I, <laughs> I just love the Lord's solutions. Uh, and You say, well, Brother Lawrence, that was great for her. What about me? I'm telling you, the Lord will take care of you. The Lord will take care of me. I've already given you Matthew six thirty-three this morning. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. These things shall be added unto you. God takes small things. He takes despised things. He takes the insignificant things. And out of those things that God can bless and God can multiply and take care of the needs of His people. How about the widow woman there in Elijah's day in 1 Kings chapter 17? She had just enough meal in the barrel and all the cruise to go out and make one last meal for her and her son. The prophet said, Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake. She did what the prophet said. And before I forget it, let me say this. These disciples might have been short on faith, but they were not short on obedience. They did exactly what the Lord said. They caused the people to set down, they took the bread, they took the fish, and they distributed it out. They might have been little on faith, but they were big on obedience. As a result of that, I believe their faith was increased. And the Lord, back there in 1 Kings chapter 17, that woman's got just a meal, in the barrel, and oil on the cruise. I, I love stories of providence. I love the stories of God's providence out, out here in my life, your life. I hear left here people talk about how the Lord has miraculously taken care of them and, and delivered them and brought things their way they never would have expected. I remember a man telling an experience one time. It was a preacher and he was, he was having some tough times, real tough times. And he just uh, didn't know how he was going to be able to make ends meet. But there was a man of some means that knew all about it. And that man wrote him out a nice big check, put it in the mailbox, and sent it to him. He got it, looked at it, couldn't believe his eyes. He went to the man that sent it, says, I, I, that's wonderful, that's gracious. That's so. Uh, you know, I can't thank you enough. I just can't take this. He says, you get it to the bank as quick as you can. It took me five times taking it to the mailbox before I ever mailed it. The devil tried to talk you out of things. He took care of the situation, didn't he? They didn't come up short. They didn't come up hungry. They were all fed sufficiently. And then they gathered up. The Lord said, Gather up the fragments, nothing be lost. They gathered up 12 basketfuls. God not only took care of the multitude, he took care of his servants, took care of the disciples. They had something to eat, they had a basket to take home with them. No doubt. To help them remember this occasion, yet they've forgotten it, it seems like. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, You of know, you might think, well, if I'd have been there, boy, I wouldn't have never forgot that. I doubt that's true. I imagine you would have. You know uh, better than those disciples were. But they took it home. They had it, they had it right there. God took care of them. They did what God said do, and God took care of them. He said, Don't you remember that? Now, the Lord don't mention the fish here, He just mentions the loaves. I think one reason, because right after this, the Lord's going to launch into his sermon in John chapter 6 of him being the bread of life. And see, this miracle caused many people to follow the Lord, but only a few drew near to him. They like being fed. They like to have their appetite satisfied. It caused a great many people to follow him, but only a few people to draw near to him. I want to follow the Lord if I know my heart this morning. But more than just following the Lord, I want to draw near to the Lord. James tells me, draw near to God, he'll draw nigh to thee. If I want to have a nearness to the Lord, if I want to have close fellowship with the Lord, if I want to uh, feel his hand in my hand, feel his hand in my life, then i got to draw nigh to him. He had a lot of people to follow because of these miracles. He says so. In John chapter 6, you follow him in the miracles and the lows. But when Jesus Christ started preaching to them, it was a different situation, wasn't it? When the Lord started preaching, my friends, he just weeded them out. When the Lord started preaching, when he said, the flesh profited nothing, the spirit did quickly. In my words, they are spirit and they are alive. He said, no man can come to me except the Father has sent me draw him. I'll raise him up again in the last day. And all that the Father gave me shall come to me. And he's coming out of no eyes cast out. When Jesus began to preach those wonderful doctrinal truths, brother, the people began to go in direction. They took the physical, but they didn't want the spiritual. The Lord reminds them of these two miracles. The five loaves and the few fishes. fishes. The two fishes that satisfied the 5,000, some men and children, and then the 4,000. And here he just asked, how many loaves do you have? And they said, well, we have seven. Well, seven's the number of completion, perfection. And how many fishes? He said, well, we've got a few small fishes. We're not told exactly how many. And the Lord done the same thing. He took the seven loaves and a few small fishes. He multiplied them. They passed it out, and all 4,000 were fed, and they took up seven basketfuls. As a testimony is a witness. I believe this lesson also teaches me that I need to appreciate anything of value God puts in my hand. I don't care how little it is. I need to appreciate what God has done for me. I don't need to waste anything. I don't need to throw away something value. Maybe it's not, if it doesn't have any value for me, maybe valuable to somebody else. I can help somebody else with it. Um, <laughs> I think you can go to extremes sometimes, maybe. My mother, she was, grew up in the Depression. And I tell you, you didn't throw away anything during the Depression, not from what I've read. Those were hard times. Those were tough times. And my mother wouldn't throw anything away. If, uh, I don't care what it was. She just wouldn't hardly throw anything away. She wasn't a hoarder now. I'm not talking about that. She just wouldn't throw things away. If she could get one more, one more wash out of a washcloth, she'd get it. We'd give her washcloths and we give her towels and everything, brand new ones, uh, you know, at Christmas, whatever. She'd put them in the drawer keep using those ones that you could open up and see right through it and count the strings in it. So, Mama, you got new ones over here. What are you doing? Well, I'll get to them sometime or another. They're still getting the, <laughs> getting the job done. <laughs> And when they'd come to see us and we'd throw things away, first thing you know, we'd find them again. she didn't go in there and got them out of the trash can because she thought, well, these ain't wore out yet. Now, I don't think we have to be quite that bad. <laughs> but I didn't grow up in the Depression either. Do you not remember? Do you not understand? Let's not forget. Take heed and Beware. Oh, ye of little faith, do you not understand. Why do you not remember? Do you not remember the loaves and the fishes of the 5,000 or 4,000? If you remember that, then you'd understand I'm not talking about natural bread. I'm talking about the false doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You beware of what they teach. Take heed and beware of it.